Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more, the fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18plusbegambleaware.org, T's and C's apply. Hello and welcome to Premier League All Access with me, Sam Matterface, TalkSports Chief Football Correspondent Alex Grook and the title winner with Arsenal. Not once, but twice, it's the wizard winger, Perry Groves. Yep, this is what's coming up on tonight's show. I think he does deserve an awful lot of credit, Unai Emery. I think he'll feel that he's redeemed his reputation. What do you think the limit of Aston Villa's ambition is? It's probably too early to say that Villa are in the title race. I think Unai Emery would want to play down that kind of talk. You do have to talk about them as top four candidates for sure. So I think it was a dirty, a dirty decision. It was very difficult and, and, and to unpick. But the referee could not have seen all of that from where he was standing. Football's existed and been enjoyed for hundreds of years without the referees and without someone sat in a television studio having to take centre stage. We spend far too much time writing about, talking about referees. And it was completely different Bournemouth, not the personnel, but the way you could tell in their body language and the way they're going about their business. Mm. And then you just think, well, can you do this against one of the so-called bigger clubs? They go to Old Trafford. We'll find out when be. they play one. Well. How can you produce such a high energy performance against Chelsea and literally a few days later revert to type against Bournemouth? I guess the old cliche that lepers don't change their spots. If Jim Ratcliffe, if he ever does get this 25% share, in Manchester United, I wouldn't be surprised if the whole thing just went. Hurrah! Spurs have ended their slump. Realistically, Spurs are, are battling to be in the top four. Postacoglu, he hasn't blinked. You know, how can you be in a situation where you have spent that much money, yet there is no depth to your resources? It's beyond the pale, and someone's going to have to take responsibility for it. Hello gentlemen, hope you're all well. Uh, Crookie and I just got back from the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. It was a brilliant day of football, wasn't it? You've just got back from Kenilworth Road. Slightly different environments actually, because we went to the plush new stadium and you went to Kenilworth Road. Oi, don't dish the Kenny. I love the Kenny. <laughs> By the way, have you two been doing like a folk concert or something? Like a little folk band going on? <laughs> ring each other up and go, what are you wearing? Oh, I don't know, I'm wearing black. What about yourself? Um, we were talking there, I actually was lucky enough to go in the uh, dressing rooms at mm. Kenilworth Road and I loved the away team dressing room because it's just like being in like a primary school. It's really enclosed and compact. Did you go before or after the game? After the game. Did you? Yeah. Did, were they playing music in the dressing room or not? No, it was, it was completely... Because when I silence. went in there, it was with Tottenham and Tottenham were playing music. All right. They were did having a bit of a party. See what they did were to get their stereo in there, didn't they? The size I, of the away I, team I dressing room. I thought that, yeah. It was a bit strange, yeah. And you go, when you go along the tunnel as well, you have to duck your head, don't you? Because you might smack your head it's on the so concrete. so tight, isn't it? I, love, I, I think it's brilliant. Absolutely Proper brilliant. old school. Yeah. It is, um, and I think they create a great atmosphere, which is why they've caused so many of the big teams problems, and they caused Manchester City a problem, just like they caused Arsenal problems in midweek. They caused Liverpool problems there as well. So look, I think they're making a great fist of, of trying to stay in the Premier League, so good luck to them. And Rob Edwards, 
has come across very, very well. Uh, loads to talk about today um, because there's been a lot of games that meant a lot. Um, but to kick us off, Stephen has got in touch on X, formerly Twitter. He says, Sam, I do hope you start to give more credit to Aston Villa. This is because I sent a tweet out saying that Aston Villa were very good on Saturday night and had a very good run. I thought the two performances, Manchester City and Arsenal, very different, but very effective and well played to them. He said, um, we would like you to give us more airtime to Villa on the Premier League All Access podcast because so far you've mostly ignored Villa's great form performances to focus so much time on mid-table sides like Manchester United and Chelsea. He's got a point. <laughs> Glad you're realising now that you've slept on us. I sent him a tweet back. I said, Stephen, you're absolutely right. We are sorry. It will be rectified. So we start at Villa Park. Well, there's no arguing with the fact that Aston Villa are certainly in the hunt for the European Champions League places, the top four. If it's top five, they'll certainly be in the hunt for that. 15 home wins in a row. And despite the fact that Mikel Arteta tried to make out they were lucky in the game against Arsenal, there's nothing lucky about that run. No, there's nothing lucky. Arsenal the last team to beat, weren't they, I think, in the Premier League back in February. Um, the way they beat Man City, they were the Aston Villa on the front foot. They're really intense, created... So I think they had 22 shots, wasn't it? The oh, most that they've had, they, they took the game by Shrafnick. Against Arsenal, it was a different way to win because... Apart from probably the first 20, 25 minutes, half hour, where it was quite even, Arsenal started to dominate game, especially in the second half. But because they put so much effort into the game against Man City, they had to find a different way. And they did. They dug in. They showed a lot of uh, determination, a lot of grit. Your goalkeeper, you need him to be strong, which obviously Martinez is a big, strong character. And you're going to talk about him in a minute. You need uh, leadership qualities, which is lacking in a lot of clubs we're going to talk about later on. And you get that from John McGinn. Oh, you certainly do. And he was terrific in the game against Arsenal, but he was also terrific in the game against Manchester City as well. Uh, most of the good work on Saturday, I thought, came from the press and the defence. Yeah. And what I like about the way Aston Villa approach things is the, the way they don't always press right high from the front. Sometimes they'll let you have the ball. But there are certain triggers that happen, and all of a sudden, they'll go at you. And when they really fancy pressing you, they can cause you some serious problems. As Arsenal... And Manchester City found out this week. Unai Emery deserves a lot of credit for that. The sign of a good coach being tactically versatile as well because I think it would have been impossible for Villa to replicate exactly what they did against Manchester City. And indeed, Manchester City and Arsenal are very different sides. So I think he does deserve an awful lot of credit, Unai Emery. And actually, if you look back with hindsight now, and it's relevant because they just beat an Arsenal, the job he did there wasn't as bad as... People maybe suggest he got to a European final. They only just missed out by a place in terms of Champions League qualification. So I think he'll feel that he's redeemed his reputation. I thought the goal they scored was superb. The work down the right-hand side from Leon Bailey, mm. the intelligence with which McGinn opened up the space and the way that he finished into the corner as well was brilliant. And then it was a defensive resilience, really, that won the day. And I think... It's probably too early to say that Villa are in the title race. I think Unai Emery would want to play down that kind of talk. But I think if you keep winning games at home, and they've given themselves a little bit of a buffer now to the teams chasing them in terms of the Champions League, you do have to talk about them as top four candidates for sure. I think let's just take it one step at a time. Let's talk about the top four. I think they'll definitely be contenders for that. But there's quite a few clubs that are contenders for that. And I was having a, uh, a chat with a Tottenham fan after the game today, and he was saying to me, you know, there's going to be a lot of disappointed teams at the end of the season, mm. especially if there's only four places and not five. 
for the Champions League. Um, on your point about Emery, Andreas got in touch on X as well, and he said to me, Emery's a great manager, he's a big Arsenal fan. He says maybe he didn't get the support he deserved at Arsenal from the board. But in his first season, he was top four with Arsenal and dramatically fell away with four games left the second season and ended up with a terrible UEFA Europa League defeat. I was in that game in Baku, actually, and uh, yeah, it was, it was a bit of a chastening day. But you know, he got them to a European final as well. So, he, 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 listen, this is a guy who's got medals coming out of his ears. He knows what he's doing. What do you think the limit of Aston Villa's ambition is? Um, they're going to have to um, invest in probably two or three players in the January transfer. You know. And that's not... Uh, he deserves the backing because I think if they don't... I don't think they're um, genuine title contenders. I think they're definitely um, top four uh, contenders, which you've said tries to fill the fans begin the season, that have you know snapped Absolutely. your hands off. Um, but I think um, it's their away form isn't particularly great. I think they've only won three games away from home, which they've got obviously turned that round. Do you think that high line's a problem away from home? Yeah, I think because uh, obviously teams when they're playing at home uh, a little bit more adventurous and they go for Aston Villa, and I think the, the crowd at Villa Park as well. That's that's been a massive uh, like fillet for them because they got right behind their team. You said about um, you know Emery. Taxi being brilliant, but he actually he improves players individually as well because they've all. But you think as soon as he went in, he changed. It. it was the same squad that Steven Gerrard had, and he had an instant impact. Crystal Palace beaten at home by Liverpool by two goals to one on Saturday's early kickoff. I was there for that one, and Roy Hodgson actually afterwards was very vocal about not. It wasn't even. And a lot of people were sort of trying to think, equate... I mean, that wasn't in the press conference, so he could have said something there. But um, in the interview that I had with him, his issues really centred around the whole culture of officiating rather than specific events that happened in the game. And his big issue was the handball law's nonsense, the fact that you keep trying to tell people they can't have more than one person or more than two people in a technical area, why there's a technical area, we should be able to do what we like in that technical area... The fact that you keep booking people for time wasting, which is not really time wasting, you know, it's. It, he, he, I think he was just. He felt a little bit angry. I think about the fact that he'd lost a player in, jo- in Jordan Ayew to two bookable offences, and if you were paying attention on Sunday to Christian Romero's challenge and Jacob Brown's challenge, you imagine Jordan Ayew sitting at home going, "Is this some sort of joke? I've been sent off for doing basically nothing, and these two have got away with two like quite." Difficult tackle. That's, that's the one where I get because VAR um, got involved and he got the penalty, didn't he, after about two minutes with um, was Quasi on um, Mateta, wasn't it? So he got the penalty. On the sendings off, the one, the first one he gets um, booked for is because he stands in front of the ball to stop Virgil van Dijk taking a quick free kick, right? Mm. So, you know, okay, that's fine. You know, the second one where it's basically, it's a foul, isn't it? It's just it's a, a foul. foul. It's a foul on Harvey Andy Madley doesn't have to. He can just say, yeah. it's a foul. Just play. That's Don't do the that one, again. Yeah, that's the one where you think, no, you're too quick to get out of the second yellow card there. Because that's, you're sending someone off. And I think, you know, it's okay to turn around and say, yeah, okay, it is a yellow card event. And so was the first one. And by the letter of the law, maybe it was. But do we want a game? And do referees really want... Should you not stop and think, I can't send a player off for that sort of offence? Could he not have been... Yeah. A little bit more sensible about his game management? Because you are allowed to use game management. 100%. And uh, it, it changed the course of proceedings. I'm not sure that Liverpool necessarily come back and win the game against 11 men. And, and I understand Roy Hodgson's frustrations. For me, the first um, VAR check, when they overturned the on-field decision, 
took far too long. I mean, how many looks at that did he need to realise it wasn't the a penalty? This is the penalty that was given, but then denied yeah. after VAR realised that Endo had been fouled. He must, have, right he must have, yeah, but he must have watched about 20 replays to get to that decision. You can tell that Will Hughes has gone into the back it's of pretty clear yeah. after two or three views at it. Just, just overturn it. You know, it, it takes far too long. Football's existed and been enjoyed for hundreds of years without the referees and without someone sat in a television studio having to take centre stage. We spend far too much time writing about, talking about referees. Uh, I totally agree. And my issue with that decision was, is if that was as clear and obvious as we think it is, and we do, I think it's a foul, but the referee stands five yards behind that incident and says, play on. Mm. Now, he's made an on-field call. It might be the wrong call, but he's made the on-field call. Was that call so bad that he needed to be pulled back and told that that wasn't the case. Now, in this e- example, I think they probably should have ruled out the, the penalty award, but it took them so long. Yeah. Is it clear and obvious if it's taken them that long? I'm not sure it is. No, I, I think, think there should be a stop clock. No, but I think they're spooked. I, th- I think they I are think under you're so right. much pressure that they are frightened. They keep looking at it. And what the end, when you see it in front of your very eyes, and you straight away you can tell within 20 seconds from like... Two angles, it's done. They're overthinking it, thinking, oh, have I missed something? I've seen something else. Am I going to be stood down if I make the wrong decision? And that's also true, because we were talking about this, actually, the the show that we were doing on Sunday um, from Tottenham, where we were seeing things, you see things so many times that actually you can almost sort of see things that aren't there. By the time, if you watch it 20 times, you you can change your mind, because you you start overthinking it, as you said. Um, The other thing I didn't like was the... 102, 103 second delay between the incident with Mateta happening and the penalty being awarded or the referee being told to go over to the monitor? Well, there will come a time when play goes on for so long that somebody picks up a serious injury in that time, whereas if the player all scores a goal earlier, all scores a goal, I'm surprised that's not happened already. That's when you get the yeah, yeah, but I'm more worried about a player suffering an injury that maybe he wouldn't have had to do, suffer mm. had they have called it back earlier. I'm surprised neither of those... Things have happened as yet, but it's just too long. Clearly too long. Yeah, I agree with that. Uh, Jurgen Klopp, though, said on Friday that he had some of the world's best players in terms of mentality. And I think they showed that in the second half. But he said himself, um, they weren't in the game until the 75th minute when Jordan Iowa gets sent off. Then they, Mo Salah scores in the 76th minute. Doesn't he? And then Harvey Elliott gets a, a real good individual goal. To That's be a fair brilliant to him. goal. Um, he gives the goal kick the eyes actually, doesn't he? Mm. I think Matthews thinks he's going to go like to his right and then just whips it back across him. Um, but they've won 18 points from losing positions, and he calls them. It was the mentality monsters, wasn't it? And you know, one well, Mo Salah does get a lot of praise, but when you think that the way he's had to change his game for different personnel that's come in, obviously with Firmino um, going and Mane going, and he's been the constant, and it was his 200th goal for Liverpool. Only the fifth man to do that. 150th uh, Premier League goal. So his consistency over that long period of time, when he's not a centre-forward, he's playing on the, on the right-hand side, is incredible. And that's when you look to your, your big players to try and rescue, and he's, he's done it. Like on numerous occasions, he did it again. I've mentioned a couple of times on this podcast that I think Liverpool are the value bet for the title. Their chance is very much still alive after that performance. And I think they've got a great chance, haven't they? Yeah, I think they'll still be concerned about the number of goals they concede, the number of times they're having to come from behind. So I think defensively... Joint best defence in the country. 
But they seem to they seem to concede the first goal in a lot of games. I agree. And that, and but, that becomes so, an unwanted but, but habit. So do a lot end. of teams. Yeah. You know, Manchester City did it on what, Sunday. What, what are the records actually? You, you, I'm putting you on the spot here, but in terms of the number of goals that we've seen scores at this stage of a Premier League season, I'd imagine it's right up there in terms of beating the record, isn't it? It seems to be goals galore this, every week. At this juncture, going into this weekend, it was the highest scoring Premier League season. At this moment in time, there you go. I think that's what I think. So, maybe, so, so maybe the best defensive record this season doesn't it's, count for as much as it has previously. We have to well, recalibrate our statistics because yeah. they're playing 100 minutes now, not 90 minutes. Well, so exactly. There's loads of goals. There's longer goals. It's a longer plus, game, which yeah. is getting uh, booked for time wasting. So the referees, so the game's obviously going on longer. Mm. We're seeing what we want: more goals. We're seeing more goals. When it all goes wrong, Manchester United nil, Bournemouth three. The remaining Manchester United fans have their feelings heard. Boos ring around a half-empty Old Trafford. Bournemouth fans singing loud and proud and why not? They were absolutely brilliant today. They were as brilliant as Manchester United were abysmal. There was no fight, there was no effort, no commitment, no quality. I don't recognise this football club at the moment. This club is in absolute freefall. The fans in the ground are behind the manager. They're fed up with the players. We've actually lost now more home games since Fergie retired than Fergie lost in 26 years. Manchester United get pumped, not beat like you know, just by a goal to nil or they've had a few chances. They have been absolutely pumped by Bournemouth. Now, don't, let's not take anything away yes, from Bournemouth today. Yes. Top performance from yes. them. Ten Hag knew the threat of Bournemouth today. He knows how competitive this league is. But for some reason, the players went on the pitch cold and didn't deliver. Manchester United must have thought, oh, you know, we can just go out there today. Bournemouth for Bournemouth. You know, we're Man United. They got schooled in every department. Uh, we should be better. Yeah, we, uh, we have to work on it. We have to improve because this is not good enough. When it all goes wrong. When it all goes wrong. When it all goes wrong. Well, we've got a rule tonight. Uh, and the rule is this. We are going to start by talking about Bournemouth and how well they did Club to show. beat Manchester United. You got him on a short lease. It was my idea. <laughs> By three goals to nil. Actually, it was four goals to nil, but another stupid law meant that it wasn't four. Um, this is what I expected from Bournemouth when Andoni Iraola took charge, because this is what my sources in Spain had told me to expect. Bournemouth unbeaten in five, four wins in that time, 13 points from the last 15, and Newcastle, Sheffield United, Aston Villa, Palace... And Manchester United were their opponents. This is a good run. Oh, it's a fantastic run. And uh, I tweeted actually after I beat Palace in midweek and said it was a reward really for the Bournemouth owner, Bill Foley, for the hierarchy at the Vitality, that even when there was some outside noise that maybe they'd made a mistake by removing Gary O'Neill, they were 10 games without a win, I think. And there were some newspapers suggesting that Iriola was fighting to save his job. I'm not sure that was ever the case. I'm not sure they even had a conversation about changing Iriola because they have a plan. They believe he's the manager to execute that plan and they're getting their rewards now. And Perry mentioned it earlier, the mark of a good manager, he was talking about Unai Emery, is if they improve players. I'll pick out some individuals. Dominic Solanke, already his best goal-scoring season mm. as a Premier League player and he offers so much more than goals. I think if he keeps playing the way he is, Gareth Southgate is going to have to have a serious look at him because he started to score goals but he's the focal point of the team. His touch has improved. His hold-up play has improved. So I think he's got every chance of being on the plane for the Euros. And the two midfield lads, Ryan Christie, maybe wasn't going to get a contract renewal at one stage. They've tied him down to a new deal. Lewis Cook is back to the type of form that got him into the England squad. 
Iriola has to take an awful lot of credit for that. Yeah, keep your powder dry because there's a, a, another subject involved in this game that we want you to talk about in just a few moments. Um, I'm not talking about United tonight. I'm bored. I'm not wasting oxygen. Ask him about United. We'll come back to you in just They're a shambles. second. shambles. <laughs> Is that it? Uh, um, uh, but we were quite lucky. We were quite privy to sort of you know, the approach with Bournemouth. And their thinking was at the beginning of the season that their start to the campaign was very difficult. The fixtures that they've got... They'd worked out the number of points that they'd received last season from the same set of fixtures. And they knew that if they got to the end of September and, and hadn't won a game, they were still up from where they were the previous season. So they, they were quite committed to this process early on, which I think is, is a good thing because no one, not any manager of any club, can bed their ideas in the short space of time especially if you're going to do it effectively. It takes time, right? Yeah, well, I, in. I did um, the West Ham game when they played West Ham at the beginning mm. of the season. And you could tell that they were in transition, that, that they, they wanted to press, they wanted to be a bit more high energy, they wanted to play out from the back. And you could tell that the players wanted to do it, but because they'd spent so long playing a different way, and there's no, uh, no criticism guarantee, well, he had to play that way because they needed survive to survive. Football, exactly, absolutely. So you had this group of players wanting to do what the manager want, wanted, and but just thinking, oh, not maybe having that little bit of confidence. I saw him at Sheffield United, and it was completely different Bournemouth, not the personnel, but the way you could tell in their body language and the way they were going about their business. Mm. And Crook, you mentioned there about Lewis Cook and Ryan Christie. Although he plays the 4-2-3-1, the where they're, they're supposed to be the two holders, they're not. Actually, Lewis Cook plays a little bit deeper. Ryan Christie just plays about seven to 10 yards in front of him. And they look like, against Sheffield United, they look like Barcelona. They, honestly, they were that good. And then you just think, well, can you do this against one of the so-called bigger clubs? They go to Old Trafford. We'll find out when be, they play one. And it should be, yeah, but I'm saying bigger clubs, not bigger performances, but bigger clubs. <laughs> and it should have been five. Um, you mentioned Dominic Slanky. He got six in 33 last year, eight goals this year. And his goal, he's, when he takes terrific. it, what he does, that's a player who has been told to get himself into the six-yard box, where he wasn't doing that before because his confidence wasn't very high. Told to make the right run. And as Lewis Cook just pulls it back, he just opens his right foot out and he just helps it back across his body. It's beautiful. And his stride. And you go, right, that, that's not just confidence, happened. That, confidence, yeah. but that'll be working on different drills in training. Um, as you said there, he holds the ball up a lot better now. And again, his, his body language, you can tell that he actually believes that he's a Premier League player. Whereas before, there was a lot of Bournemouth players who thought they were lucky to play in the Premier League. I think it's changed. Well, Scott Parker told them they were. OK. So they weren't good enough, is that? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think they've scored... Uh, I mean, yeah, we'll, we'll go back to, to Bournemouth at another time. We need to move on to Manchester United. So, uh, I know you're not going to talk about them, but let's talk about you instead then. Uh, because last weekend... <laughs> was he playing? Last weekend, you refused to come on the podcast because you were so furious with Eric Ted Hogg. You had a rant on the Sunday session, uh, which was trailed by Adrian, who was filling in for me. Uh, that Sunday, and you went on a tirade as you usually do when they lose. Um, in midweek, we recorded the podcast, and you told Scott Minto and I that um, you thought that Eric Ten Hag um, deserved more respect because he gets more criticism than any other manager. And Still true. We should we should we should focus more on Jesus Christ Himself and Postacoglu. Um, <laughs> what? What, Where are we what is your viewpoint now? Well, I'm Flip straight flopper. into defensive mode, as you can see. The arms are folded. <laughs> Ten um, out. Listen, again, he, he's made mistakes that he's making repeatedly. Picking Anthony Martial. That was strange. Absolute waste of space, as far as I'm concerned. Moving Luke Shaw 
into the centre of defence and playing Reggie on. Didn't work against Newcastle. Didn't work against Bournemouth either, who actually one of their strengths, Bournemouth, is out in the wide areas and he should have been aware of that. Didn't change it in-game quickly enough. But it still comes down to the players. How can you produce such a high-energy performance against Chelsea and literally a few days later revert to type against Bournemouth? I guess the old cliche that leopards don't change their spots. Bruno Fernandes gets himself booked when the game's already gone for descent. He misses out at Anfield. Yeah, but after last year at Anfield, that's probably not a bad thing. Maybe that was going through his mind as well. But these are a group of players who can't be trusted. They're going to constantly let you say that. You say that. But actually, I think there is a problem with the manager. And I'll tell you why. Because I know for a fact that one Premier League manager told another hierarchical person at a Premier League club that you will have nothing to fear from going to Old Trafford. I think I told you that. <laughs> I might be throwing that, it back at you. Is that a word on the street? <laughs> Listen, it's, it's a fraction. Ten is not perfect. And, and they knew, they knew, Bournemouth knew, that if they got their tactics right, they could do Manchester United. They knew that. Yeah, absolutely. And everybody knows that. And I agree with you. And I think Jim Ratcliffe will be watching this. Whoever comes in as sporting director, be it Paul Mitchell or Dan Ashworth, which was the story we wrote about in the Transfer Notebook this week, they'll be watching this. And they might be thinking, Eric Ten Hag isn't the man to take Manchester United forward. But there's a lot of players in that squad who aren't fit for purpose as well. Talk to me about what you thought about the first goal. Solanke's finish was great, but it comes from playing out wide by Manchester United rather casually. Sophie and Amrabat... Gives the ball away, trying to give it to McTominay. No one reacts to that. Not Shaw, not Amrabat. A couple of minutes later, Solanke's hitting the post. McTominay giving the ball away again. No one reacts. Second goal, Shaw gives it away this time. That was the story of the match, wasn't it? Everything, nobody reacts. Because I've said it before. they don't care about there's, losing. They think there's a bunch of lazy players. And it's a malaise that's been going on all the way back to Jose Marino. And I said before, he said about Luke Shaw you mentioned, where he, he dug him out personally and he said he just does enough. And I think that is, you could level that at a lot of Manchester United so, players. So what's the solution here? Because a former, a former employee of Manchester United, as a source close to the club, told me that the issue with this squad is that there's no fear of consequence. Mm-hmm. That'll change. How, how do you change but that? To, look, I agree with Crookie. When Ten Hag first went in there, you thought, well, when they got beat, they got hammered 4 at Brentford, didn't they? He said, well, if you're not going to run on the Saturday, I'll ping you in running yeah. on the Sunday. And you, I said at the time, brilliant. That's old school managing, but... The least that I want is effort and application. He's had all the off-field problems that he's had to deal with. If it's been, you know, it's been reported that players with bad attitudes turned up late for training. And I think he's indulged a couple of, I think he's indulged Marcus Rashford too long. Because other players then think, they know when they're playing. Yeah. If other players aren't tracking back, they ain't putting it in. His forwards weren't tracking back. That's been going on for probably last five or six months, whether it be uh, when Jaden Sancho was in the team, whether it be Anthony was in the team. Even Garnacho, young player when he got in the team, wasn't tracking back and he weren't getting into a shape. So I think he's lost his way. I think he's doubting himself. He's definitely lost his way. Because? Because he's not demanding from the players on the pitch what he's demanding from them off the pitch. So he's alienated Sancho and told him he can't come into the dressing room until he says sorry. But he's not demanding the basics of the players that are playing. And also he's judging them by different standards. He's let... Now he's had to accept that Rashford is playing to such a level that he's got to take him out of the team. But Anthony Martial hasn't been playing at that level for six or seven years. That, that, this is a club that has got the worst shot conversion record in the league. In the league. I've said it about Martial. You, you're picking a player there who clearly doesn't have a future 
at the football club. And actually, the most damning indictment of Anthony Martial is that he was cheered off and coming on in his place was a player who still hasn't scored a Premier League goal. But yet you're still having a go at Darwin Nunez and Nicholas Jackson. Nicholas Jackson's got seven goals. Darwin Nunez has got, well, he's into double figures in, in all competitions and this season. You're having a go at him and Rasmus hasn't even scored yet. And they both break him to a jog. But if you're Rasmus... <laughs> no, right, but, and they work But off. the reason yeah, the fans latched on to Hoyland is because of his work. Right, right. Yeah. Hurland works So works if you're hard. him, right, and he plays in a winning team midweek against Chelsea and may not play OK, right? Even though he doesn't score... Didn't make any sense. Right, and he, 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 uh, tr- he tracks back, he closes down, yeah. he does his work. Then all of a sudden you're left out. How does you feel when you think, hold on a minute, in his head you'll be thinking, you're putting that lazy whatever in front of me. And we've won against Chelsea, mm. so... I mean, I, think, I mean, if you're Rasmus Hoyland and you see Anthony Martial on the team sheet in front of you, I mean, you have got every right to kick off. I can you? only think that Ten Hag is trying to manage his workload. He's still a young player. Is he, he in the red zone? He arrived when he was injured. Well, he may well be. They've got a big week. They've got Bayern Munich. They can't many Man United players in the red zone because they're not running around. Well, he's one of the, he's, <laughs> he he's, the he's, he's one of the few who could be. But. Yeah. Well, because I did speak. I mean, Roy Hodgson told us that the reason he didn't have Alicia in the team from the start of the weekend was because he was in danger after well, they're nursing a an spike in, back, in his yeah. workload coming back from injury that was going to be in the red zone. So that's the reason I brought that up. Uh, but it's, uh, look, there's a lot of work to do, and it was brilliant listening to the Sunday edition with um, Sean Custis and Des Kelly this weekend on Talksport on Sunday. You can listen again on the app if you haven't heard it. And they tried to sort of unpick the problems at Manchester United. And at that point, Des said, "The issue here is that there are so many problems yeah. that you cannot actually put your finger on one because there's just just a myriad of issues to solve before you even think about moving the club forward." Take the captain away from Harry Maguire and give it to Bruno Fernandes, right? It's Bruno Fernandes decision. is not a leader. He's not. I've said it before, he's a flat-track bully. But he's His come out today and done an interview with MUTV in which he has apologised and oh, taken... How many times does he have to apologise? Taken, taken the blame on himself and said, it's, you know, I will start with myself, my standards weren't high enough. FR David, words do come easy to Fernandes. Yeah. Even Manchester <laughs> United fans will be looking at him thinking, mate, I don't want to listen to what you're saying. Just uh, put your effort in and show some leadership um, qualities on the pitch. Uh, Luton against Manchester City was a brilliant game. Uh, City came into this fixture on the back of their longest run without a win under Pep Guardiola. And they went behind in the game as well, didn't they? You and I had had a discussion about it beforehand. We thought wide areas were going to be an issue and it was a brilliant cross. Yeah, Andros Townsend, senior, sorry, Andros Townsend senior, does what... Anderson has he does, is on the right hand side, gets his left foot, gets it to the far post. Brilliant header from Adebayo, really to good. be fair. Really, really good. Carl Walker and Diaz could do a little bit better. Um, and that was well crafted by Ross Barkley as well, because he's the one who does a little bit of skill in the centre circle and then puts it out to the right wing. And um, Pep was getting a little bit irritated, shall we say, on, on the touchline. A little bit? Yeah, because um, he was getting a bit of stick from the Luton fans behind him, which was <laughs> really funny. Um, He's not used to that. Yeah, and Kaminsky was brilliant in the first half, the Luton goalkeeper. He pulled off two welders from Phil Foden. And I, we're lucky, we're privileged to go and watch football. Right? Absolutely. And Luton is a brilliant place to watch football. Because it feels like you're on the pitch. It you is. Know what I mean? It feels like you've got a GoPro camera on you and you're following them around And everywhere. just to explain to people who, who haven't seen it, basically they've knocked down one side of the ground. They've rebuilt a, a very small stand, but on top of that stand they've put a, a media gantry where we are asked to sit and it's the best view in the Premier League bar none yep. because it's low and close to the pitch right on the halfway line. you can see and feel and sniff everything yeah and it gives you an appreciation of how quickly Man City 
zip the ball around. It's mm. all one and two touch. And Phil Foden played in the 10 in the 4-2-3-1 position. And he's always on the half turn. I said in the commentary, he's, he's like the cross, he's got like, like an, I think he, in a past life he might have been an owl because his head just like <laughs> rotates. And he, what do you reckon Crook was in a, in a past life? Um, he's got to be, I would say... The um, King of England? A big grizzly bear. Yeah, definitely Because he a loves bear. a little kip, doesn't he? He has a little kip and he goes home late. Oh, he does love to hibernate. Exactly, yeah. yeah. But, um, International breaks usually. <laughs> but, um, yeah, and I, it was just a privilege to watch him let the ball run across his body and outside his left foot, you know, and just open his right foot out. And they didn't, when they went 1-0 down, even though Pep obviously wasn't very happy because Man City had played quite well in the first half and Luton had defended, you know, Every time I looked up at the screen at uh, Tottenham, they were on the attack. Yeah, sitting. and then, um, and I mentioned as well about Rodri playing. When you, when you think, right, everybody, just everybody, just go, Man City players just go, everybody calm down, we're all right, because we've got Rodri. Mm-hmm. Rodri's playing and he'll start getting himself on the ball, which he obviously was involved for uh, Man City's first goal, where he, he turned Ross Barkley really well. To be fair, um, I think it was Lockyer comes out and tackles him, and it comes to Bernardo Silva and he just bends it in the bottom right-hand corner. And then Jack Goodis gets his goal from an Alvarez cross. And in the end, um, Rob Edwards... He changed it. He put Carl Morris on. He went two up front. He went like a 5 3 2 and tried to get in the wide areas. They didn't really put Edison under any pressure, but there was jeopardy through the whole game. And I, there's no other league in the world where that will happen. Do you know what I mean? Where one of the bottom in, team in the bottom three and Man City being the champions of Europe, there would be that competitive. It was, it was a riveting watch because of the two contrasting styles. It was like paint and decorators against the like, surreal artists, wasn't it? It was like completely different. So it's, that, that, that analogy you used on the Sunday session, but it was so good that you get to use it again. Thanks so much. And we'll give you a little. And that'll definitely be in the uh, in the highlights at the top of the podcast. It, it as definitely well. will be. It's so make sure you include that. Um, I think we should credit Rob Edwards, and I think we should credit him for the way that he has taken a chance on a couple of players, and Ross Townsend and Ross Barkley in particular, who even someone like Ted Mengi, who was shelved out by Manchester United, Tahith Chong as well who I don't think people were expecting too much from this season, but have made a major impact on that Luton team. Yeah, Barkley was brilliant against Arsenal in midweek as well. And, you know, he's, he's not a youngster anymore. Clearly lost his way for a while, but he seems to have found it again under Rob Edwards. And it'd be actually fascinating to sit down with, with Ross and maybe with Rob as well and, and work out how Rob Edwards has managed to do that. But certainly Barkley is probably playing as well as he has done for, for some years. We had Nakamba next to him in like that yeah. midfield area. And I think what he said to Ross Barkley, it's, it's one of those man management things where you put your eyes on something and say, everybody knows the natural talent that he's got. And he's, he said he's tried to put him a little bit disciplined where he, he just doesn't roar all over the place. He just stays central. But he's got, a, um, we said about John McGinn, you know, with his, um, his tight turning circle that he's had. Ross Barkley's exactly the same. He's got brilliant feet where he can turn. He's got great touch. And I think he's just, he's enjoying himself. Mm. I think you look at him and he's just like, he's released the shackles and said, go on, then you're going to be our main player. And it has happened for a while, is it? In the Ross Barkley, where someone said, you're going to be the main man. So everything's going to go through you. And Andros Townsend, uh, senior obviously going in there with his experience. Um, and I see, when you look at Luton, um, you want them to do well because you know the whole club is together. All the players are together behind Rob Edwards. Rob, Ed- Rob Edwards is getting everything out of that group of Luton players. They couldn't give him any more. So it's just that little bit of quality maybe that they need in the final third. But at Kenilworth Road, that, they, they haven't 
um, been beaten by more than one goal. No. Kenneth, Kenneth They're honest and they keep the opponent honest as well. And I think as a fan and as a manager, that's all you can ask for. Absolutely. Um, it, it, they've done very, very well, even if they haven't got the points that maybe they think they, they might well deserve. Manchester City, I mean, I know you're still reeling from that Liverpool um, statistic of having the joint best defence in the, in the league so far, but Manchester City have kept just two clean sheets in 14 matches. I mean, that is quite some statistic, really, isn't it, for a team that prided themselves on, on defensive rigidity last season. Good word. Um, I think he's, he's still trying to find the right balance of his back line. Um, obviously, John Stones has, has not been fit for a lot of the season. I think that's been a massive loss. Said it before, still not convinced by Guardiola, certainly not playing as a, as a left-back. I think as a centre-back, he can probably do a job. Obviously, when Rodri's not there and they've missed him for periods of the season... They've tended to be a worse team as well. So it doesn't surprise me, actually, that they're conceding goals. OK, uh, Newcastle conceding goals for fun at this moment in time. And boy, did they concede a lot at the new Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. We'll focus on them next. And another dismal day at the office for Chelsea. Life is full of awesome what-ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Ladbrokes. Odds update on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Hurrah! Spurs have ended their slump. To be fair, it wasn't really a slump, was it? I mean, if you look back at the games that they didn't get the points in, the five games in a row, they did well against Manchester City. The Aston Villa game they should have won. The Chelsea game was a nonsense game. It was, you know, down the sendings off. It was, you know, they'd lost it and rightly so, but it was, it was a nonsense game. The West Ham game, they bashed them for the first half and didn't do anything in the, in, the, in the second half. And I can't remember what the other one was, but they did very well in that as well. Wolverhampton Wanderers away. They dominated that game for about 70 minutes before Wolves came into the match. Um, so it was a slump in terms of results, but performances have been okay. And he proved how good he is tactically today with a change up front. Well, putting Son on the left-hand side with Charleston through the middle. I said at the beginning of the season, I thought Richarlison would suit the way that Postecoglou wants to play because he wants to play the high-energy attacking. And it's one thing that Richarlison does do. He does give you effort and application. He's one of those annoying players, isn't he, where he goes, he goes and closes down. And um, it's worked, obviously, today. I think the thing with what happened with Spurs was because they were so good at the beginning of the season, then... As a fan, you do you know, get a bit carried away and say, oh, well, we're top of the league, there's every chance you know, we're in the title race. 
And I think now there's going to be a bit of leveling off where you think, actually, realistically, Spurs are, are battling to be in the top four. Mm. Because we noticed they've been unlucky with, obviously, injuries to James Madison, injuries to Ricky van der Ven. But what Postacoglu, he hasn't blinked. When a manager doesn't blink and a manager is so convinced of the way that he wants his team to play, the players will then go with him. Because even with what you'd say uh, a weakened team, even when it went to Man City, they played exactly... I thought if they go and play like that against Man City, they could be, get beat four or five. And then Kubsefsi gets the header and they make it 3-3 where Johnson goes on the outside of Kyle Walker. Players then think, do you know what? We've just gone to Man City and we've actually taken the game to them. And then the belief they'd have got from that 3-3 draw, mm. and obviously they've, they've played Newcastle at the right time, let's be honest, because Newcastle are running on empty at the moment. But he just says, that's the way we play, mate. That's it. That's, that's the way that we play. Two, two things that you said there. Um, you know, teams that take great heart from playing very well and getting a draw against Manchester City. Well, Chelsea didn't get that lesson. Um, and you said that Ange Postecoglou didn't blink. How do you know? Because, as Crook will testify... He never he looks, looks at, at you. He looks at the floor. <laughs> <laughs> he does look at the floor all the time. He just looks at the floor all the time. Yeah. Uh, you, you can never tell whether he blinked or not. Because as I, cause I said to Crook afterwards, how was Andrew? He went, yeah, fine. I said, did he look at you? He went, nope. <laughs> so it is a very bizarre experience being the interviewer. But I spread to Ben Davis after the game and, and he was saying the players have 100% faith in the manager. He's got his identity. He's got his style. And he believes and they believe it will bring them reward. And it certainly did. In this game, they were head and shoulders above Newcastle. I think actually 4-1 flattered Newcastle mm. because there were a couple of other opportunities that on another day Tottenham take. A, uh, a Tottenham fan said to me uh, after the game, it's magical, isn't it? Um, they're really enjoying themselves. And I think that's the main thing, isn't it? He's brought that sense of enjoyment back to the football club. It was a good result for them. But on the Newcastle flip side of it, they hit the wall, I think, against Everton. And they're struggling to get players back to refresh. But it's a pivotal week now because they've got AC Milan on Wednesday night, which is crucial to their Champions League and European progression. So getting third and getting into Europa League, I think, is important for them, especially revenue-wise and, and making a name for yourself-wise because commercially they need to bring in more money. They've got Fulham on Saturday and then they've got Chelsea in the League Cup quarterfinal on Tuesday. That's a massive game for them because they want to win a trophy. And anyone who heard Darren Eels on the radio on Sunday knows that the ownership group understand that. Yep, and uh, obviously the fan group and all the Newcastle fans are desperate to win a trophy. He's been unlucky, obviously, with the injuries. I think it was the fifth time on a trot he's played the same 10 outfield mm. players. and uh, That's difficult to do for any manager. Yeah, Yeah, because in the modern-day game as well, they're worried about, obviously, you said player being in the red zone. Callum Wilson was on the bench... Uh, today wasn't sure. Longstaff was on the bench today, so they'll probably play midweek against AC Milan. And it's not just a big, big week for Newcastle; it's a big sort of week to ten days for Eddie Howe, because this the new owners will expect Newcastle to be challenging to be in the top four, and it looks like at the moment that they're just dropping below that. So. Are they going to go again and invest in, in January? On I think it's difficult. Play side? Exactly, financial fair play. I don't think there's a lot left in the kitty. I think if they can get Calvin Phillips on loan, that would be a no-brainer. They might have to have a look at the goalkeeping situation because we felt that maybe Dubravka didn't cover himself in glory, particularly in the second half. And they do look like the squad is stretched to the limit. But I do sympathise with Newcastle because they're so determined 
to operate in the correct manner in terms of financial fair play, and they're being penalised for it. They're almost hamstringing themselves by yeah, doing so, in a because way. Because the owners would love to spend more money, but they want to operate in a certain manner. And this is my issue with FFP. FFP. Mm. It almost makes the Premier League a closed shop. because yeah, it pulls the, the drawbridge the, the established clubs, the Manchester Uniteds, the Chelsea's, can spend almost as much as they want, seem, seemingly, because they have the, the historic revenue behind them. If you're a, a new money club and you want to break into that, select group, it's very difficult to do. I understand the premise of FFP, and similarly when I was investigating the Reading situation as well, you know, there's also the other side of it that you're almost protecting or punishing people for wanting to spend money on Mm. a club and invest in a club. I don't really think that's the role of FFP. FFP's got to be about sustainability, and if you've got someone who's quite happy to pump in a lot of money, then that is okay. That, that, it's how Blackburn that, won the league. How under Blackburn Jack won the league. It's how Manchester United started. It's how Arsenal started. The only reason they're in North London is because there was a guy who had loads of money, built Highbury, and wanted a big team to go and and fill it. And they were pulled out of Woolwich and put in there. That you know that's a hundred years ago. So I, I think we have to be a little bit careful about not being sort of trade restrictions here. But we mentioned the ten players, and we mentioned the fact that it's difficult for you to do that five five times in a row. It's a lot harder when your goalkeeper is not as good as your main goalkeeper. Well, the thing is... I mean, he had an absolute shocker today. Well, what it is, it, it, it sends uh, through the, the back four, it sends that little bit of uncertainty, it? because uh, Nick Pope has been in brilliant form um, for Newcastle, isn't he? because he comes for crosses, his shot stop is really good. He's not one of the best goalkeepers that plan out from the back of his feet. But Eddie Howe wasn't worried about that, was he? He just wanted to have that security at the back. And you said about the FFP. FFP... The premise was bringing in to stop clubs going bankrupt, to stop you down at Portsmouth, Sam, to stop a Portsmouth Absolutely. situation where clubs were spending money, a Leeds United situation as well, spending money that they didn't have that they thought they might have in the future. I've never had a problem with um, if an owner buys a club and he's a multi-billionaire or um, you get state-funded clubs. Or if, the, if, those, if you have the money and you can prove you have the money, why shouldn't you be allowed to spend it on your business? There's no other business in the world where if you have money and mm. you've got it that you're not allowed to spend it on your business where you're protecting other businesses that, that doesn't happen Everton 2 Chelsea nil. two clubs that have obviously gone through that Chelsea worse I mean billion pounds what do you get for that three youngsters on the bench that haven't played Premier League football brilliant um, and all of a sudden the pressure is actually starting to mount on Pochettino I'm an advocate of keeping him until the last dying day, because I don't think you're going to get anybody better to do a better job than what he is doing in the circumstances. But not everybody feels like that. No, there's, there's Chelsea fans that we know that are, are really quite vociferous now that Pochettino isn't the man. He's a foul Tottenham manager. He's, he's never won anything meaningful. I mean, they look a long way from challenging for anything meaningful. I'll just take winning a game at this stage. Uh, but I, I've got to say, you know, I'm a big fan of Pochettino going right back to when I first encountered him at Southampton. I did expect him to make more of an impression than he has. And, you know, there have been some terrible performances. The fact they managed to be played off the park by Manchester United and then United get hammered by Bournemouth. They go to Everton, who've been thrashed at home by Manchester United, and they lose there as well and seemingly lose with a whimper. I think there are questions to be answered from Pochettino. Well, the thing is, well, it puts Pochettino under more pressure. Postacoglu has gone in at Spurs and he's never managed in the Premier League before. And he's put his imprint and he's put his philosophy on that group of players very quickly. You look at Chelsea... Well, Leroy has done the same at Bournemouth at yeah. a lesser level. And you look at Chelsea, you don't know what you're going to get from one week to the next. Obviously, you mentioned uh, the Arsenal game where they were the best team 
probably better team for like 70 minutes. So you think, oh, that's right. As long as we get inconsistency. They're excellent against Arsenal, excellent against Manchester City. And then what? Well, that's about. They're it. actually very good against Liverpool, actually. In the Brighton, they showed season. against Brighton. They showed a bit of resilience. To be fair, when Brighton Kyle were Gallic really disappointed to lose that game. Yeah, they didn't feel they were the second best team. But they showed resilience, Chelsea, because obviously Conor Gallagher sent off just before half time. But I think Pochettino is. Although you spent a billion quid and you haven't bought a centre forward, right? He will be or under a pressure because if you're spending that amount of money. There's no way in the world that you can be languishing in 10th, 11th, but you're spending and 10th that place. Much, that amount of money, but there's nobody in the, the squad is paper thin. How? How on earth have they got themselves into a situation where they've spent a billion pounds, yet they've got three kids on the bench that have never played a Premier League game, and Georgi Petrov, uh, uh, Petrovic, who's, who's never played a Premier League game as the, as the reserve goalkeeper, and he has to come off the bench tonight, by the way, to take the place of Robert Santos. What if he has to play a, a number of games? Is he experienced enough to do that? We don't know. You know. How can you be in a situation where you have spent that much money, yet there is no depth to your resources? It's beyond the pale. And someone's going to have to take responsibility for it. And it isn't going to be Todd Bowley. It isn't going to be Begdag Agbali. It's going to be Lawrence Stewart and Paul Wynne Stanley because they've done a terrible job. On the recruitment side of it, they've bought too many players that are very, very similar. I don't think there's a lot of character in that Chelsea side. When uh, I was saying um, earlier about De Sassi and uh, Badashirlik as your two centre-halves, then you look at them, you wouldn't think that they were two stoic centre-halves, you know, where they could, they could like, abate any attacks that are coming their way. And then you look, you go through the team, I know Colin Gallagher's been playing well. He's probably one you maybe get a little of a pass to. But on the consistency side, no one else has been consistent in that Chelsea side. I still haven't got over losing to Manchester United on Wednesday night because I thought they were so, so bad, Chelsea. But anyway, let's move on. Perry, thank you very much. Pleasure. Arsenal not top of the league now, are they? So you can't moan about the fact that we haven't mentioned them that much. Still in the top three. Still in the top three. Um, Crook, thank you very much. I'll see you later in the week. Are we, we're going to Manchester United against Liverpool next Sunday, aren't we? I might not come. <laughs> You've got your 10 looking, looking forward to that. I can't wait. Uh, loads of live football on TalkSport this week, including... Wednesday night round the grounds in the Champions League. We've got Europa League action on Thursday. Friday night, Nottingham Forest against Tottenham is live and only on TalkSport. And on Sunday, we're round the grounds in the Premier League. Crook and I will be based at Anfield. He's very excited. All right, I am. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds, we set them. Form guides, we've got them. Expert opinions, we share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Labrooks. Odds updates on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, begambleaware.org, T's and C's apply.